is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Live in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Well, good morning and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. It is a gorgeous day here at 35th and Shields. White Sox and Marlins getting ready for game two of this three-game series. We're getting started here at the ballpark just kind of watching Roger Bossard take care of the infield right now. He's got the riding tractor out there making sure all the lines are facing the proper way. The grass is cut at the proper height. It is going to be... I mean, there is something about a a fairly empty ballpark as we get ready for play. I know a lot of people don't. It's definitely a spot of privilege to be able to sit in here and kind of watch this happen, kind of the quiet cathedral sort of thing. If you've ever got the chance, and we'll talk about it later on coming up, it's kind of close. The Sox are giving away opportunities to come out here and watch batting practice as the White Sox and the visiting team, there's two chances, two different teams, uh, that you get to do it. This is it is a really cool experience and something that I think a lot of us who kind of work in this game at times take for granted, and then you look up from the scorebook or you look up from your computer or the stat sheets that you're, you're kind of wading through in the day, and it is a really cool thing to kind of be here before all the action. we got action coming up later this afternoon, of course. Uh, a good pitching matchup as well. Uh, at least on, on paper in certain ways. Sandy Alcantara won the Cy Young for the Marlins last year in the National League. He is not having that kind of season this year. Still, though, the guy's got stature, he's got stamina, he's got stuff, and can be hard to hit. Michael Kopech has been really good for the White Sox over his last five starts. More on him as we go. Uh, he'll get the ball for the White Sox. We've got a lineup for you. I'll get you that in just a little bit. At least the White Sox have a lineup out. I've not seen a lineup yet for the Marlins. Uh, And then, also, if you're looking for a unique way to start your game day, whether it's today or any other game day, treat your group to a pregame patio party. You'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash patio or call or text 312-674-1000. That's one of DJ's favorite spots, the Bertucci boys out there in uh, right center field with the patio cook up one heck of a cheeseburger, and it's just a it's just a really good time and a great offer, too. Good way to enjoy a ball game. Uh, our producers in the downtown Chicago studios are Jacob Cantu and Charles Bevins. Jake and Charlie, they're guys back downtown. You'll probably hear from them during the course of the afternoon, course of the morning, I should say. We are also going to hear from Dylan Cease in, uh, at some point during the show. Dylan, kind enough to come on at, uh, at an undetermined time, but will be here on White Sox Weekly we promise uh, your chance to join the show as well, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number for you to get involved. I There's been a lot of drama with this White Sox team over the last week or so since we last talked, since our last episode of White Sox Weekly. And I, I kind of wanted to go back through some of the drama. I kind of wanted to talk about you know each series as we go a little bit. Obviously, there's some... You know, some pressing news issues for the White Sox with Eloy Jimenez and the injury that he's dealing with this time around. Of course, we'll get to that as well. But I, as much as I can, I like to throw out a question to White Sox fans to start the show. And you can kind of noodle on it for the rest of the morning and call in with your answer when you feel like it. And I, 
I think the question that I've that I've boiled this down to for today's show is essentially this: How close do you not not the front office, not the rest of the league, not the rest of the AL Central? How close do you need the White Sox to be to first place, or how much do you need them to be leading the division by at the deadline in order for you to be comfortable? about the direction you're trading. Teams are either going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline. It is very difficult to stand pat, although, you know, at times teams do, whether it be through their own volition or just not finding trade partners. I, I find this division to be so, so interesting. And it and it's not for great reasons sometimes. Yeah, the Guardians won a really fun walk-off game against the Astros. They beat them 10-9 in 14 last night. But largely... The offenses in this AL Central are kind of just dealing with it right now. There's some good pitching, whether that be from the Guardians, especially getting Tristan McKenzie back and the rest of that rotation back put together. The Twins had pitched really well up to about three weeks ago. Then that kind of stopped. The Tigers are now, you know, it's close to free fall for them. They are in a rough way. They lost to the Diamondbacks last night 11-6. to They're now in fourth place in the division at 26-35. and and the White Sox are in third at 29 and 36. Last night, the Twins did beat the Blue Jays 3 to 2. It took them 10 innings to do it. And they are the only team in this division at 500. They're 32 and 32. And they've got myriad issues as well, not the least of which are health with Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton, just to name a couple of, of problems there. Not to, uh, the starting rotation is at health issues as well. Buxton got hit in the ribs. He's currently on the injured list, and Carlos Correa has been dealing with plantar fasciitis for, I want to say, almost half of this current season so far, and he had a recurring issue that took him out of a ball game last weekend and and may continue to do so. Those are two big cogs in that Twins lineup. I think, for me, I, at this point especially with the way the White Sox are pitching now. Not necessarily because of, but certainly in conjunction with the return of Liam Hendricks toward the back end of that White Sox bullpen. He does a lot to help set everybody else in the proper position, or at least a better position, and also gives you a guy that can pitch late and close in a tie ball game, up by one, up by two, down by one. It's It's been really interesting to see Hendricks being uh, deployed by Pedro Grifol and Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler out here. Uh, it's it's This is a ball club right now that is going to make their bones by pitching well, I think. And there are still some issues. You know, Lance Lynn has some things to iron out. There's no doubt about that. Dylan Cease pitched a good one last night. Looking forward to talking to him about his quality start yesterday. White Sox beat the Marlins 2-1. to Cease got the no decision. Hendricks got the win, his second since coming back. But this is, you know, right now an offense that's kind of powered by some home runs, gets a little contacty, gets a little too swingy, a lot of strikeouts, maybe not so many walks, but certainly a team that playing the way it is right now can compete in the AL Central, is competing in the AL Central. They are three and a half games back, keeping pace with the Twins last night, who won, they beat the Blue Jays, White Sox beat the Marlins 2-1 to in a walk-off fashion, too. It was, a, it was a fun one. Luis Robert ripped one down the third base line in order to score the final run of the game. That was Elvis Andrews, who himself got on first base and then advanced to wild, on a wild pitch. Uh, so some good base running there by Andrews. 
And a good job by Luis Robert, who had had a tough night up to that point. Two strikeouts, a pop-out, reached on a catcher's interference. I think that's the third one this year where Robert has reached on a catcher's interference. And then caught a slider in the barrel and went down the left field line to win the game for the White Sox. So the question to you is, how close do you need the White Sox to be by the deadline to feel comfortable about the direction you want to trade? For me, I've got a game number in mind, but I, I don't want to say it you know, right at the top of the show. I don't want to influence anybody one way or the other. Quite frankly, I don't want to sound crazy because I, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about how close things could be come trade deadline time. I, I really am. I think that especially given the fact that the White Sox have had you know, some solid production from guys like Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets and even Clint Frazier at times. You know, guys who have had to fill in for an injury to Eloy Jimenez. It's it's looking like a deeper team than it did maybe a month ago. And with Tim Anderson back healthy and maybe even getting healthier as you go, Yohan Moncada kind of feeling out how to play with, you know... A back issue that, that it sounds like is going to bark at times a little bit throughout the le- throughout the, the uh, length of the season. And then Andrew Vaughn hopefully settling back in after kind of a, a month-long slump in May. This is an offense that's got plenty of length to ride things out here in the month of June. Now, on the flip side of, of where things are at now, the White Sox did just finish a month of May where they went 15-14 and 14 and played a lot of games within the division. And I've talked about this a bunch. I talked about this a lot last week on White Sox Weekly uh, because it was kind of us flipping the calendar. The White Sox do not play a division opponent until July 21st again. They've got the Marlins now, and they're headed out west to face the Dodgers and then the Seattle Mariners. So they got to wait until July 21st to go back up against the AL Central. And, and I think it's pretty clear that for you know for the White Sox right now, Their eyes have to be on a division winner in order to make the playoffs, and that is still absolutely where the focus is, both in this clubhouse and in this front office. So that's the question to you. How close do you need them to be for you to feel comfortable about the direction they're headed at the deadline? 312-332-3776. We should be hearing from Dylan Cease in just a little bit. He pitched a nice one against the Marlins last night. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts. For last year's AL Cy Young runner-up. So we'll get to Dylan in just a bit as well. We'll take a quick break and talk some more White Sox baseball all morning here on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Get weird with Waddle's World on ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox beat the Marlins 2-1 to last night. Another walk-off for the ball club. It was a ton of fun. And Dylan Cease pitched really well. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts, one walk, four hits. I bet he remembers the entire evening. I suppose we could just ask him. Dylan is on the show now. Dylan, really appreciate the time, my man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. I, I wanted to start, you know, kind of in a, in a different spot, I think, than, than most would. You, as a starting pitcher, have a very interesting perspective during walk-offs for your team. Quite often, the starter has been out of the game, especially if you're going into extras, something like that. You guys have won in walk-off variety 
a couple of times, three times over the last week or so. What do you see, Dylan, as your responsibilities as the starter who's no longer in the ball game as your team gets closer and closer to a walk-off situation? Um, I think just being supportive and, and watching the game. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, after we come out, we're uh, doing treatment or doing other stuff, so we're not even in the dugout. So a lot of times it's just uh, being a cheerleader. What's the best way to cheerlead? Do you find like do you need to find Lucas if he's not? You need to find Lance and like is that a work together situation? Yeah, I think uh, Lucas tends to be pretty vocal. Um, I mean, in those in those big moments there where the, the game's in the line, I think everyone's uh, at, at the top of the dugout, um, and you know we're all kind of feeling that excitement. Whose responsibility is it to grab the bubble gum or the Gatorade or what have you? Like, is there a designated guy for that? That's actually a good question. I've never done it, and I've never talked to anyone like about, hey, what are we doing in this? So, I guess it's one of those things where uh, someone takes that responsibility in the moment and uh, gets it done. I I guess like if you wanted. Like next time around, you could just grab a thing of bubble gum and see what happens. You know, if you if you go out with too much bubble gum to dump on a guy's head, that's not a bad problem. Yeah, I think um, I do feel like the uh, the Gatorade dumps are the most classic. So yeah, if we're up to me, I'd like to dump some sort of cold liquid to also uh, inflict a little bit of you know uncomfortableness on the guy. I think that's kind of funny. So. That would be that would be my ideal scenario. Have you have you ever dumped Gatorade before? I don't think so. I'm trying to I, maybe in high school, but yeah, I don't think ever since I've been in professional baseball. I feel like the mechanics of the Gatorade dump would be important, right? Because you don't. We've all seen it where the guy, you know, you get the Gatorade dump, and then somebody loses the handle on the Gatorade thing, and then it bonks the dude in the head, or maybe it drops on a foot. You got to be cautious. Yeah, I think uh, I think height is definitely a uh, yeah. a good quality for it. Yeah, you want your six eight, your six seven yeah. guy, you know, out there kind of on top of something. Because yeah. if if Luis Robert, you know, because he had the game winner last night, there's not a lot of guys taller than him. It would almost have to be like Lucas or something, right? Or Garrett. yeah, Lucas, Lucas Garrett, maybe uh, Lance, one of those guys. Yeah. Have you have you ever been the recipient of a Gatorade? Because I know you were a very good hitter throughout all of high school. Did you have a situation where you were the the dumpy? Mm, I know on uh, my first start up here that we won. I, I think Eloy dumped some some Gatorade on me, but I don't think as a hitter, I, I hit a couple walk, or I hit one walk off in high school, but I don't think I ever got anything dumped on me. I think this is uh, I think it's been a really productive part of the conversation. I think you've got some goals for the next walk off, and I'm I'm glad we could talk about the proper walk off procedures. Yeah. What, what felt so good last night? What was uh, you know a lot of called strikes on fastballs, a lot of good sliders. What was working best? Yeah, I think um, it was one of those nights where I was able to mix all my pitches and uh, and kind of command my fastball to the to the glove side. So um, I just gave different looks. Um, for the most part, I didn't leave any sliders kind of just spinning. You know, they were all either diving to the bomb zone or kind of doing what I wanted. So um, it was just a good get, a good game of mixing it up and, and uh, good results. 
a couple of starts ago, you mentioned that uh, you kind of felt more – I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you kind of said that you felt more back to last year than you had at any given point. Um, can you describe kind of what that, that process to getting, like you said, back has been? Yeah, so basically um, we kind of identified that I was opening up a little too much, and now we've got all these – you know, all of the ways to measure how open you are and all the analytical stuff. So, so basically the last, I don't know, month, month or so has just been a lot of mechanical work and like trying to train myself to stay closed and, and do all that. And it can be, it can be challenging because your body's used to doing one thing and then you're also trying to compete at the major level. So, um, it can, it can be tough to get that new feel for what you're trying to do while, you know, trying to focus on getting batters out, the pitch selection, all that different stuff. So just really ingraining, um, you know, some better mechanics and just trying to, just trying to get that feel and just have that focus and, and, uh, you know, preparation and training. So I, I wonder as those mechanics kind of alter a little bit over the course of some starts, does that, alter a little bit which pitch you're feeling better out on a given night or given stretch of starts or is that more dependent on just kind of the the feel the evening the, the way a start ends up going it definitely can um the, there's always there's always gonna be starts even when your stuff's feeling good and you, your mechanics are locked in where you just for whatever reason one pitch is sharper or, or you can throw one pitch for strikes better um but yeah i mean it felt Sometimes when you're going through the stretches, though, it's like, oh, man, none of these feel good and none of these are going where, where they need to go. But that's just a part of the game, and that's why, like, being resilient and being as mentally strong as you can is, is kind of the only way to get through it because there's going to be a lot of starts out there where we as pitchers don't have our good stuff and, and don't really, you know, have a great feel. So at that point, it's just battling with what you got. Talking with Dylan Cease here on White Sox Weekly for another couple of minutes. I, I wonder, Dylan, you know, over the last, call it four weeks, this team has, has really started to look the way it wants to look. It's won ball games the way it's wanted to win. Has there been um has there been an overall feel that you can describe over the last couple that have been that has been more more White Sox, if that makes any sense, more like you guys feeling like you guys want to feel? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, whenever you're winning, the, you know, it's the mood is always going to be better. So um, that's a big plus. And uh, I think I think a lot of it is just, like, continuing to, to go forward with our work and our process. And, you know, I mean, we were working, even even during when we were losing, you know, it was we were, we were putting in the work, we were preparing, it just the results weren't there. So a lot of it now is just we're doing the same stuff, but we're winning. So... Um, you know, that's just kind of the game sometimes, but, um, like I said, it's, it's much, much more enjoyable coming to the ballpark when you've been winning than it is when you've been losing. I think, I think that's one thing that just about every baseball fan can absolutely identify with. Like that, that makes a lot of sense. We've all had bad couple of stretches at our jobs and dreaded coming in and yep. winning has got to feel a lot better. We're 65 games into this thing, Dylan, you have made 14 starts is pitch clock second nature? Yeah, at, at this point, it definitely is. Um, it was. It's not really something I've ever 
been worried about. I don't love in between innings. I feel like there's not quite enough time for warm up pitches, mm-hmm. but I've kind of adjusted to that. And um, yeah, at this part, it's really just not something I'm too worried about. Has the the disengagement rule t- taken a little getting used to? Um, I, I know that there are a lot of pitchers that have, you know, talked either publicly or or, or else, else otherwise. I should say about kind of changing their strategy with guys on. Is is that a little different than pitch clock at this point? Um, not really, because well, I mean, it, it changes it changes things for sure. But uh, in my opinion, you just have to be willing. If you're going to pick over twice, you have to be willing to pick over a third time at some point yeah. just to show that, that you will do it. And I think at that point, if you mix up your holds and change your timing and do all that, it really it really isn't – you can still kind of use it to your advantage. Dylan, I was, uh, I was doing a little deep dive on the defense for the White Sox, and I, I was just looking at Luis Roberts' numbers, the seven outs above average and the six defensive runs saved. It's him and Kiermaier at the top in center field. I don't know if you you know, look at any of those numbers over the course of time, but I, I have to imagine that as a starter, whenever you watch that ball head out to, I don't know, anywhere between like far left and far right center, knowing that Roberts out there, you is it just complete calm? Is it is it? Do you look and want to watch the highlight reel? I, the guy is just so good out there, especially this season. Yes, yeah, uh, usually off the bat, I kind of have an idea if it's going to fall in or not. And a lot of times with him, it'll be it'll be one off the bat. I'm like, man, he got me on that one. And then you look up, and it's like he's either casually strolling there, or he's like sprinting. But you know, if anything, I'm always like more worried that the guys. <laughs> The guys in left and right that are going for it are going to get run over by a uh, by a tank, you know. But uh, yeah, he's he's obviously unbelievable, and uh, speed, athleticism, his routes to balls. I mean, it's really um, re- really a top notch defender. He's a special wa- special watch, and you guys have a great seat for it on that mound. Yep. Dylan, really appreciate it, my man. Great job last night, and uh, keep it up. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's White Sox starter Dylan Cease joining us here on White Sox Weekly. We talked about the uh, the proper mechanics for Gatorade dumping on a guy who's won a game for you and, uh, and a whole bunch of real baseball stuff as well. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. We'll take some phone calls on the other side. We'll also uh, do something fun, I think, with the week or so that was. I'll tell you what that is in just 10 seconds. We'll pause it here for station identification. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. We'll take some calls and we'll walk through the walk-offs over the last week. You'll hear it. It'll be fun, I promise. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch, ESPN 1000 Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I did not know that we had NERD in the music bed vault, but I'm really happy that we do. That's great. What a good start to the morning. Uh, we got the pregame show coming up at 12.30 this afternoon. First pitch at 1.10. That's Michael Kopech and Sandy Alcantara. We'll talk about those starters here on the show and a lot of the pregame as well. Just got done having a conversation with White Sox starter Dylan Cease, who spun a quality start last night. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts, one walk, one uh, four hits, rather, for Dylan. He did not get a decision, but the ball club did win. They walked off the Marlins. 
We're going to have a little fun with the walk-offs the White Sox have had over the last week or so in a little bit here on the show. If you missed the Dylan Cease interview, I, I thought we had a good time. So, And you want to go back and listen to it, you can download the ESPN Chicago app if you haven't already. Put that on your smartphone. And when you fire up the app, the station will play, which is great because that's what you want the app to do. You can also download each and every one of our episodes of White Sox Weekly so that you can listen to them at your leisure. You can share it with your friends and do that whole thing. Just download the ESPN Chicago app. You can also join us in celebrating your favorite Fuzzy Green Dude's 19th birthday at the ballpark tomorrow. The White Sox take on the Marlins at 110. It's Southpaw's 19th. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I asked a question at the start of the show, and then we talked to Dylan Cease for a little while, which was awesome. And I wanted to know from, from White Sox fans, from, to you, to you, how close do the White Sox need to be at the deadline to either decide to add or subtract, to decide which way they need to go? You know, is there a break point for you as you've watched this club over the last 65 games that lets you feel, I don't know, I guess most comfortable? Uh, to me, this number would be relative to first place in the division, right? But if you wanted to play it, oh, five games under or five games over or, or what have you, that'd be fine, too. I, I think it'd make most sense to compare it to wherever that first place team is or, you know, being the first place team would be absolutely fine. It's not out of the question either. So let's take some of those phone calls. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. In Whiting, Indiana, it's Steve on White Sox Weekly. What's up, Steve? Hey, Connor, how you doing? I'm doing well. Enjoying, enjoying the talk. Um, two things. One, just a quick quibble. You start out touting the Sox for uh, letting the, the, if we pay to get in for batting practice to see the Sox. That used to just be normal part of your ticket to get in to see the Sox. So it's just, you know, another slap in the face of fans. Well, that, Steve, know. to be fair, to be fair, Steve, that used to be normal in every ballpark around the country, and nobody does it anymore. That's They've changed that, and that has a lot to do with what the players want and bargain for over the last couple yeah. of CBAs. So yeah. Well, just, the, the players don't care about the fans that much either because that used to be fun for me to go. And I, we can I, get in see the other team bad a little bit now but you know it's, i i agree it's that it's disappointed to hear that the players ask for that you well know? it's it's not a it's not a binary thing it's not that they don't like fans it's just that that came with a lot of other things that they were bargaining for and with it's part yeah, of the big business yeah. of baseball yeah yeah i know sad <laughs> anyway back to a better subject um you asked about how long do we hang in there yeah, I was looking at the schedule in the month of September. Actually, going back the end last week of August, we have four games at home with Oakland, which you assume we're going to win some of those. Oh, you'd like to, yeah, that's for sure. Go to Baltimore, which will be tough unless they're fading. And then it's twenty games in a row against the mainly the the Tigers and the Royals. Yep. And then the, we also have like three or four with the Twins, and then it gets kind of semi tough again at the end of the the last week or so. So man, if we can if we can tread water, and I hope we don't just tread water. I'd like to see us put the pedal to the metal still and and make those games kind of tuning up for the playoffs. But you know, I I feel good about our chances if we're close at the end of August. So I'm I'm I don't like to see us break this down unless it really falls apart. All right, Steve, I appreciate you, my man. Thanks for calling. 
Hope you make it out to batting practice. Uh, you can you can do it. We'll we'll get to read to you in just a little bit. Tell you about that whole action. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Steve's right about September. It's uh, that month starts with three games at home against the Tigers, three on the road against the Royals, three on the road against the Tigers, three at home against the Royals, and four. At home against the Twins. Boy, it feels like last year's schedule with the whole 19 AL Central games against each team. Uh, then on the road against Washington and Boston. That's, you know, as much as... So let's assume for the sake of you know the, Steve's part of the conversation here that the White Sox are indeed closer, leading the AL Central by the time you get into September. They certainly could be, especially with the way things have looked lately. He had some games against the Tigers and the Royals who are... I mean, listen, we've got trade rumors circling the Royals already. Both, uh, I, th- I believe it was Scott Barlow's name was in trade talks. Jake, Charlie, if you could chase that down for me on MLB trade rumors, that would be fantastic because I don't want to be citing the wrong Royals reliever. Uh, but there were also trade conversations, apparently, uh, surrounding Aroldis Chapman, all reported stuff. But if the Royals, and listen, they've. They, not gotten off to a very good start. If the Royals are dealing some things away, then perhaps that opponent gets even easier. That bullpen is by far the strength of the Royals organization right now, at least at the big league level. Um, regardless, then you're home against the Royals again, home for four against the Twins, on the road against the Nationals, who are not at all as bad as everyone thought to start the season, but are still a team that's likely to trade things away and not add at the deadline. The Red Sox, I don't I don't really understand. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I need about another month to figure out what the Red Sox are doing. The Diamondbacks and then the Padres. The Diamondbacks are who the Padres thought they'd be this season, and the Padres are... Kind of who everyone figured the Diamondbacks would be this year. They've reversed roles, but still two very good teams in the NL West. You get to host them both, the White Sox do. So hopefully that plays to their advantage as opposed to uh, last year kind of ending the season on a road trip in San Diego. The season didn't end in San Diego, but the final road trip was, if I recall, in San Diego. And I hope it was. Uh, I hope I do recall correctly because I, I was there. Uh, Jake Cantu, our producer extraordinaire. I mean, Charlie's good, too, and everything. But uh, Oh, and now Charlie's chimed in. Scott Barlow was that Royals reliever who had his name come up in trade conversations already. And then Aroldis Chapman as well. So, you know, listen, if you're already kind of floating relievers to, to move around, I mean, this is kind of understanding. And what you're, what you're not hearing, with one exception, we'll talk about it in a little bit, are our those kind of conversations around the rest of the four clubs in the central. So I, you know, it's 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 an interesting place to be. It's an interesting division to live in. It is it is not quite as uh, as talented as some other divisions. I, I think that's pretty clear from the records that these teams have amassed at this point. And the White Sox, that the expectation is that the talent they do have, and there's plenty, will rise to the top of this division, and and that there's a push to be made. In the playoffs, I, I do firmly believe, and I, I know this has been said a lot, it gets said a lot, and I, I think it gets said, it's so true, and it gets said so often that it feels like talking heads on MLB Network or, or whatever or just kind of placating you with it. I really do believe this is the case. You get into the tournament, and anything can happen. Make the playoffs and truly anybody can win. With the expanded field, the format being what it is, the ability for teams to you know shorten bullpens and go to this whole thing, I find it interesting that over the course of the last few weeks, the White Sox, via record, have been compared a lot to the 2019 Nationals, the team that was you know kind of in a similar spot as the White Sox, something like nine games under 500 
chasing the division, and they went on an unholy run through June, got themselves into the playoffs, won the World Series. They did that, the Nationals did, while playing in a much more competitive NL East at that time than the White Sox are in the AL Central right now. They also did it with, a, quite frankly, a, a bad bullpen. But once they got to the playoffs, they were able to kind of shift the roles of two starters and bring more reliev- fewer relievers into the game. They, they kind of just shrank the circle of trust and relied on about six to eight pitchers throughout the course of that playoff series. You know, when games were closed, there were a couple where things got out of the hand one way or the other, Nationals wins or Nationals losses in that 19 playoffs. Then you were able to kind of throw the, the no-leverage guys but they shortened the bullpen and made themselves, you know, really, really good toward the back end. Now, that's not a thing the White Sox, at least at this point, it looks like, are going to need to do at all. You've got kind of a, a four-headed monster out there at the back end of the bullpen. Right now, just the way that everything looked on paper coming into 2022, Kendall Graveman has been really good. Liam Hendricks is back and pretty effective, it looks like. Joe Kelly's been fantastic. Reynaldo Lopez has had his role adjusted a little bit and is pitching well. Aaron Bummer had a great outing his last time out. And Keenan Middleton is just a stud. He'll take the ball in any situation, up, down, tied, and just keep things right there. It's been a very good bullpen for the White Sox. I think maybe one of, if not the strength of this team currently, you know, the way things are right now, just the snap, if you, you know, as the stock market bounces up and down, you take the snapshot of the one day, I think you'd probably say that the stock on the White Sox bullpen is probably at its peak right now, or at least is peaking right now compared to the rest. Who knows? Could be better. Gregory Santos has pitched well. I'm just kind of paging through old uh, pages of my scorebook here and kind of forgetting to mention Santos and his good work uh, against the Yankees in that 6-5 to win, first game of the doubleheader. Speaking of some of those wins over the last week, the White Sox have had a few exciting ones, especially here at Guaranteed Rate Field. I think some of them are worth reliving. Uh, and I hope you do, too. We're going to relive some of them when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. And in case you missed it, uh, the question to you today is, how close for you? Not not how close you think the White Sox themselves think they need to be. How close for you do you need the Sox to be at the deadline to feel comfortable about taking a direction, one direction or another? Whether that being adding or subtracting. How close do you need to be? Or how much of a lead do you have to have on the rest of the AL Central? You could be in first place by the time the deadline comes around on August 1st this year. 312-332-3776. That's the number if you want to answer that question. Or you got anything else, White Sox-wise, that you want to chop up here this morning. I'm Connor McKnight. We'll hear some of the walk-off action for the White Sox when we come back on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your socks card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Wintrust socks checking account with qualifying activities. Enjoy old perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust socks debit card. $300? Get your exclusive card at Wintrust.com slash socks. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly making fees. Member FDIC and equal housing. White Sox fans swing for the fences this season with a brand new Mazda for Mazda of Orland Park. 
proudly sponsoring the Chicago White Sox and Chicago White Sox charities for more than a decade, Mazda of Orland Park offers everything. From the brand new 2024 Mazda CX-90 to all your favorite 2023 models, along with exceptional service each and every time. To learn more about our available inventory, give us a call at 708-444-3200 or visit us at ZoomZoomNation.com. Making it to the show requires skill, dedication, and years of hard work. But at ETI School of Skilled Trades, you can go pro in as little as seven months. Whether you're looking for a career in welding or HVAC, at ETI, you'll get hands-on training to master the skills employers are looking for fast. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. This is your call-up. Visit eticampus.edu or call 888-830-7678 to learn more. ETI, it's your future. Own it. Hey, it's your buddy Tom Waddle, and I want to let you know at Great Clips, they know you live a full life, which is why they're full of ways to make getting a great haircut easier. With online check-in, Great Clips works on your schedule. And with new features, you can see where you are in line, get a ready next text alert so you know when to go to the salon, and a haircut reminder feature that lets you know when you're overdue. With Clip Notes, they save your haircut details so you can get the look you love from the skilled stylist each and every time. It's nice to be on the same page when it comes to your haircut. Look, I know they use a number four clipper on me, but... I'm not sure if that's on the sides or the top or even what a number four means. But with Clip Notes, it's all there, so I have nothing to worry about. So even when you're not thinking about your next haircut, Great Clips is. And when you choose Great Clips, it's going to be great. Download their app today. Also now, if you're interested, join a salon team. Visit jobs.greatclips.com. Expand your outdoor living space and get 11% off all concrete landscape blocks from Menards. There's no limit to what you can create. Check out our great selection of patio blocks. Design an open and spacious outdoor living area with 12 by 12 patio blocks. Just $129 each after 11% rebate. Good through June 11th. Savings are a mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at Menards. Before cell phones, before GPS and nav systems, an atlas was what you used to map out your journey. Today, atlas is your route to finding people. We're talking about Atlas Employment Services. Atlas is a boutique staffing agency specializing in food and beverage, e-commerce, manufacturing, and industrial. They help you find the crew to keep your lines moving. They can help you find short-term or temp-to-permanent hires. Atlas Employment Services. Go to atlasemployment.com. Hey, baseball fans, that check engine light on your dashboard indicates something is wrong in your vehicle's operating system. It may be a serious problem or it may be something minor. Amco's technicians are trained to diagnose and fix your vehicle right. For a limited time, Amco will check it free. If cash is tight, Amco offers up to 12 months of interest-free payments and plans, even if your credit is not perfect. Call 800-GO-AMCO or search AAMCO for a location near you. That's double A-M-C-O, Amco, transmissions, and a whole lot more. Greeny, 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Apparently we're doing uh, 90s hip-hop on the rejoins here, which I am not at all upset about. We had NERD earlier this morning. little tribe here. Guys, are we... Jake and Charlie are our producers, and they're both between the two of them about 22. 
I, this is all on shuffle, right, boys? We're not we're not like setting this up for the old man Connor and appeasing him with with old school hip hop throughout the morning. I wish I could take credit, but it okay. is on shuffle. All right, well, it's a good shuffle. It's a good couple of mixes. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the phone number. Question out to White Sox fans here this morning is: I, I hope simple. But because of the division, because of the Central being what it is, it's kind of by nature somewhat complicated. How close at the deadline do you need the White Sox to be to feel comfortable adding, subtracting, trading away, or, or adding one way or the other? I'm just curious because I think these Sox – I'll, I'll say it. I think you can be within – I think this team can be within three at the deadline. I, I know that this schedule here in the month of June is a difficult one. Um, I think that has as much to do with the rest of the division as it does with how talented I think the White Sox ought to be with some of the underperformances that still exist You know, going on on this team, still looking to get more from a couple of different positions and players, uh, still really producing well for the most part, top to bottom pitching-wise. A couple of guys who could iron some things out as well on that end too, but I think you can be there, and I think at that point, you're kind of forced to continue to push in. And that's where you want to be, right? Forced is probably a pejorative at that point, but you want to be there. Anyway, that's the question to you. 312-332-3776. Sox played some fun ball games here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Come on out to the ballpark, and you're going to see some fireworks, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Going back, though, I wanted to kind of relive some of the drama the White Sox have provided to you. And I'm just now realizing that... DJ and I were on the call for the first walk-off win against the Tigers. It was a it was a fun one, too. Kind of the last thing I expected to happen. Michael Lorenzen had been so good the day before for the Tigers. You know, they won 2-1. to one. Well, I guess this is where we'll start. This is where we'll start. It's a game against Michael Lorenzen. All three runs in this ballgame. All three. And it's never happened before in, in baseball history. At least the Elias Sports Bureau couldn't find it. All three runs scored on wild pitches. Lennon DJ hanging out in the 10th inning. The automatic runner at second base. The zombie runner is Yoan Moncada. Romy Gonzalez due up to bat. He sacrifices, lays it down. Yasmani Grandal with a five-man infield, grounds out 4-3 on the putout. They would, the Tigers intentionally walk the lefty Gavin Sheets, who was the designated hitter. Jake Berger got hit by a pitch, so bases loaded. Tim Anderson at the plate. And this was just, I mean... This was crazy. I've never seen anything like this, and Len called it absolutely perfectly despite the chaos. Bases loaded. Winning run is Moncada at third base. And the ball hits the umpire, and the White Sox are going to win! And we hope Corey Blazer's all right. A wild pitch off the mask of the umpire. So a muted celebration. The Sox have won the ball game. It was it was insane. I mean, Corey Blazer, he's okay. He stayed for an extra day of evaluation. He he. I mean, I he caught it right off the mask. At ninety six, ball got away. Run scores. White Sox win. Tim Anderson saw the ball hit the umpire. Well, I don't know if he saw the ball actually hit the umpire, but he saw that it had. It got away. Looked at Yoan Moncada, knew Yoan was going to score no problem whatsoever. Then he and the Tigers catcher, Eric Haas, turned their attention to Corey Blazer because there was, there was really nothing to be done. There was a brief moment where Haas was kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll go get this baseball and see what we can. Ah, I'm not going to get him. There's nothing you can do about it. it. It got away. 
and Moncada scored. And then the celebration all just kind of lands at home plate. Everybody's out there, Blazers down. He was walked off the field under his mostly under his own power. White Sox training staff, of course, was quick to the scene to help out Blazer and make sure that he was okay getting off the field. But it was an absolutely crazy situation. I was when I was a kid. I had one chance to go up to Montreal. This was in 2003. And I'll never forget because uh, Dontrell Willis of the Marlins, actually, who were here at the ballpark at the time, had kind of just been called up. And if you're old enough to remember, like I am in 2003, when Dontrell Willis really got on a run with the Marlins that year, they would go on to win the World Series. This was, you know, I probably somewhere early July, I think, is when I went to go see this game, the Expos and the Marlins. Willis was at like the peak of, of everything, right? I mean, like on, on Sports Center and the highlight reels, like if Dontrell Willis was pitching, you get the full like three minute breakdown of the high leg kick and all the stuff and everything. That's where it was. So we, Dontrell was starting for the Marlins. I forget who was going for the Expos. Michael Barrett, you, you, you remember Michael Barrett? Tried to punch A.J. Pierzynski and A.J. just let it roll right off of him. You remember the guy. Michael Barrett was catching for the Expos. And that night, Barrett had a kind of a similar situation. It was not to end the game or anything, but he, I remember him dropping down to try and, you know, as, as catchers do, to set up to stop a breaking ball. But instead, it was a mix-up, and the pitcher threw a fastball. It was 96 right off the home plate umpire's mask. And the game had to be halted for, like, 15 minutes. I've never seen anything like it up until the other day when the similar situation happened and ended in a White Sox victory with a pitch off the umpire's mask. That was just the first walk-off victory for the White Sox in the last week. The next would come in the very next game, also against the Tigers. Liam Hendricks worked a perfect ninth inning to keep the game tied at two. The Tigers scored two in the fourth, a two-run home run by Spencer Torkelson in an 0-2 count against Michael Kopech, who was absolutely dealing. Sox got an RBI from Eloy Jimenez. They would get one more from Yasmani Grandal in the fourth and in the sixth to tie the game. In the ninth, you've got a bases-loaded situation, one away in the inning. Jake Berger, who was 0-3 with three strikeouts and a walk at the plate, and he sent this place absolutely through the roof. 1-0. Swung on and lifted in the left. This is going to win it. It's a grand slam for Jake Berger. He got it all. And just over the wall. A line drive that he went down and got a curveball that might have been below the kneecaps. It was such a, and I'm so glad DJ dropped that last part in there too, because I, I had forgotten up until he said it there. Berger, I mean, Jacob looked bad in his first three at-bats. Three punch-outs, that's going to happen. But these strikeouts were just kind of looking and fishing and not finding stuff. And then that curveball, I think if you look back, it was out of the strike zone, but it was the pitch he was looking for. And I think that kind of underlines what Jake Berger has been so good at doing this year. When he's getting the pitch he's looking for, he's absolutely pummeling the baseball. He is in the top 100th percentile in terms of max exit velocity. He's in like the 95th when it comes to average exit velo. All of the hard-hit stuff, right? All of the, you know, we talk about this a lot on White Sox Weekly. We talk about it a little less so on the pregame show, and it's kind of difficult to work into a game broadcast just because it is kind of really mathy. And, I, I, you know, during a game broadcast, I don't want anybody to, 
have to listen to a whole bunch of numbers over and over. It's a difficult thing to kind of work into a radio play-by-play. But, you know, you talk about it quite a bit, at least as best you can. When Jake hits the ball, it's hit really, really hard. Only, and I mean only, there is only one player in baseball who is averaging a higher barrels per plate appearance percentage. And that man is Aaron Judge. And that guy won AL MVP last year while he hit 63 home runs. I mean, other than that, it's Jake Berger, number two on the list. And what's even more incredible about this, and Steve Stone over on the TV side has tweeted about this. He's he's talked about this on the radio as well. And I think it it goes almost without saying, except for that it really should be said, Berger's doing all of this while getting intermittent, he's not an everyday starter. He's getting more and more at-bats, but because of you know his defensive limitations and because of the fact that the best positions he's got, third base and first base, are manned by Yohan Moncada and Andrew Vaughn, it's, it's kind of difficult to find the best defensive stop to play him. He DHs quite a bit, but he absolutely plugs the ball. Absolutely does. Another walk-off for the White Sox last night, and again done by a player who had had otherwise kind of a difficult evening. Two strikeouts in the first two at-bats for Luis Robert Jr. He popped up to short in his third at-bat. He reached in his fourth on a catcher's interference. It looked like he'd struck out, but he absolutely caught the mitt of Nick Fortes, Miami's catcher. Then in the ninth, with this thing tied at one, home runs on either side, yes, Monty Rondall, Hit one out last night, his fifth of the season. Then Joey Wendell hit his first of the season off Dylan Cease. Uh, It was a home run in the fifth, and it actually tied things up for Miami. Bottom nine, 1-1. You've got Elvis Andrews reaching on a leadoff single in the ninth. So immediately you're thinking, okay, here it is. A bloop, a black. A lot of ways to score this run. Tim Anderson would strike out. They would intentionally walk Andrew Benintendi to get to Luis Robert Jr. It's Dylan Floro working for the Marlins. They wanted to get to Robert Jr. because, I would imagine, of the night he's having, the matchup against Floro, all that kind of stuff. They walked the lefty Benintendi. Robert made him pay. Swing and a ground ball. Fair ball! Left field corner! Here comes Elvis as he touches home plate. The White Sox walk off the Marlins. Three walk-offs here at home, three consecutive walk-offs here at home. It is very difficult to walk off another team when you're on the road, I guess. But three straight walk-offs for the White Sox at guaranteed rig field. Maybe a fourth on deck. Who knows? Could be fun. And I think one thing aesthetically for me, because if we're, 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 we're about aesthetics, if not anything else, here on the show. I, I love in a, walk, in a non-home run walk-off situation, like last night for the White Sox, Robert rips one down the left field line, and Andrews, right, a guy who's been in this league for 15 years, is at second base. He's going to score the winning run. And what I loved about it was, even though the ball's in play, and you've got uh, Brian De La Cruz running after the ball in the corner in left, Andrews, immediate, as soon as the ball's past the third baseman, Gene Segura, immediately his arm goes up. He's got the fist in the air. He's, he's running maybe three-quarters speed around third base because he's going to score. He's the winning run. It's all over. All he's got to do is touch home plate. And I just love the, 
I don't know the confidence in that, the fact that it's all over. Ball's still in play, but it's all over, and I'm going to score, and everybody in the ballpark knows it, so watch it happen. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is about that that gets me smiling so much, but I really like that about baseball, that, that it's kind of a no-doubter, even though the ball's in play, that it's still, still in motion. I, something about it makes me smile a lot, and I really liked it. And there's been a whole bunch of White Sox walk-off winners here over the last few weeks, so we thought we'd bring them back to you. We heard from Dylan Cease already this morning. You can check out the podcast if you want to take a listen to that interview. We're going to hear from Liam Hendricks coming up at noon. White Sox reliever Liam Hendricks was on with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday, so it's fresh stuff. You didn't get a chance to hear it there. You will hear it here. We got a lot more White Sox to talk about. We'll get you the lineup for the Sox this afternoon when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight, and you're listening to the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM FM HD and app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. If you've always wanted to watch batting practice, well, now you can. Don't miss your chance for an exclusive pregame experience to watch the White Sox and visiting team take early BP. This offer is only available for two more select games, June 21st versus the Rangers and July 5th versus the Blue Jays, two teams that can absolutely bomb it, too, so that's fun. To purchase, visit WhiteSox.com slash BP. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. Ron's on the south side. We're going to get to him in just a minute because I promised the White Sox lineup, so we'll get that out in case Ron was wondering about it. I don't want to leave anybody hanging. Tim Anderson's leading off. He's at short. Andrew Benintendi's in left, batting second. Luis Robert Jr. batting third. He's in center. He had the walk-off winner last night. Andrew Vaughn's at first base. Yohan Moncada's at third base. Jake Berger's going to DH. 7, 8, and 9 are Yasmani Grandal catching. Gavin Sheets is in right. And Elvis Andrews is at second base. That is your White Sox lineup. And now, on the south side, it's your guy, my friend, Ron. Hi, Ron. And my friend, Connor. Um, you know, you asked the question, Connor, and um, my response to that. I would like to see the team, if, if they could be three to five games over 500, because that means even from the point of today, at some point they would have played 10 to 12 games uh, over 500, which mm-hmm. I think this team is is capable, Connor. Uh, the, 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 the pitching from the starting pitching and the bullpen is starting to look like the pitching staff when uh, Foles said would be the strength of the team. That is what he said. So uh, get a few more home runs, but uh, kind of I really think that this team is capable. Of it. And if they're over 500 at that point, if they need to add something, but uh, I think they can really uh, go forward. Kind of always a pleasure. Ron, always, always, my friend. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where my head's at, too. You know, in that in that – 500 and better, three to five games kind of range. You know, I, I, you can't rule out either the Twins or the Guardians getting a little hotter here, playing a little better, and then, you know, getting themselves to over 500. Shoot, the Twins are, you know, 32 and 32. I'll take a look at the standings here for you, get them exactly, because I know but the uh, Guardians won last night. It was a wild 14-inning game. Five lead changes in the last couple of innings, too. The zombie runner, the Manford man, he scored a handful of times. Cleveland's now 30-33 and 33 with last night's win. They're a game and a half behind Minnesota. Sox are three and a half back at 29-36. and 36. The Tigers are 26-35, and 35, and the 
The Royals are not so great at 18 and 45. I, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that all four teams could be within five games the rest of the season. I think you can be that competitive of a division, if not that far over 500. I think the way it, I don't want to go through each and every other team's schedule here on the show. That's just that's slightly boring, and I'm trying to be less than that. But I, I think there are kind of ebbs and flows throughout strength of schedule-wise for each one of those clubs. I think the White Sox are looking at, arguably, their toughest stretch of baseball schedule-wise outside of the month of April. April was tough. They did not play well. And they got hit around quite a bit in the month of April. May was a lot better, and June has started off great, taking three from the Tigers and then two of three from the Yankees and this first one against the Marlins last night. I mentioned it before, and I, I, think, it's, I think it bears repeating. The Dodgers are next in L.A. Julio Urias had some bad injury news this morning. We'll probably talk about that a little bit in the pregame show, but it's more hamstring issues for Urias, so I, it doesn't look like he's going to be activated uh, to pitch against the White Sox in this next week's series. I suppose he could, but they've already got the Dodgers' Noah Syndergaard on the injured list. Ryan Papio, Walker Bueller, Dustin May. Only four starters right now for the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, Bobby Miller, and Michael Grove. And some of those guys are good, um, but not all that experienced in Miller and Grove. Gonsolin was really good last year and kind of battling back to where he was. Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw, and he's just fun to watch regardless. They get the Mariners next weekend. Then the Rangers here at home. The Rangers have just put uh, Jacob Sindergaard, uh, that's not a person, Jacob DeGrom on the injured list. He is done for the year. He's got Tommy John surgery. It'll be the second such for DeGrom in his career. They get the Red Sox, who I've like I said earlier, refuse to try and figure out. I'm going to have to see them present themselves to me and, and figure it out from there. The Angels for four games in Anaheim. The A's for three games in Oakland. Hopefully there's a couple of wins there for sure. The Blue Jays, the Cardinals, and then the All-Star break. That is, those, those are a lot of teams over 500 at or over 500 with the exception, obviously, of the Oakland Athletics. And you got to wait until July 21st until divisional play comes back at you. What is really interesting there, remember that with the new CBA, the trade deadline is no longer the last day of July. The, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, has the option to flex that deadline. I, I think it's over a course of five days, anywhere from like the last three days in July, the 28th, 29th, 30th, or the first two days in August. I believe that's the window and he's able to do that you know, for a whole bunch of different reasons. Best interest of baseball or something? I don't know. The trade deadline is August 1st this year. That's a Tuesday. The White Sox play the Rangers in Arlington on that day. But prior to that, the Sox will play three against the Twins in Minnesota, two against the Cubs here, then four against the Guardians, then deadline day. So of those games... Three plus two is five, and four is nine. Of those nine games, seven of them are against divisional opponents. All of those seven are against teams that are currently above the White Sox in the standings. So, you know, just kind of like Steve called the show earlier and said, boy, you know, I'd be happy if they just treaded water, stay where they're at, and get themselves, you know, right in September when there's a whole bunch of AL Central on the schedule. I think right there... 
interestingly enough, kind of creates this next little a potential sprint maybe for this team, even though baseball is never a sprint. If you got to make one, that might be where it's at. With that many games against teams above you in the division, you could you could really make a statement in that week, both by playing good baseball, winning some games against the Twins and the Guardians, and then perhaps, you know, making an interesting move or two at the deadline and adding to this ball club and resuming what everybody assumed and planned for was being a very clear window of contention this last couple of years and into the next few. It, it's such It's been such an odd season for the White Sox. It really has. April was so atrocious, and May has really turned things around, and now June has begun the way, you know, the way May stopped, playing a lot better baseball, pitching a lot better. And one of the guys who's been emblematic of that turnaround has been Michael Kopech over the last five games. He gets the start for the White Sox this afternoon. I want to talk a little bit about Kopech when we come back. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. Oh, and by the way, you should be here on Friday, July 28th. That's our next post-game concert. It's featuring country music artist Jake Owen, sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka. Exclusive field pass ticket avail- uh, field pass ticket packages pardon, are on sale now with limited availability. So for more information, visit whitesox.com slash concert. You want to get yourself out here and see Jake Owen. I'm told he puts on one heck of a show. We're going to talk about Michael Kopech, who has been putting on one heck of a show himself over his last five starts. We're going to hear from Liam Hendricks coming up at noon. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, and I'm Connor McKnight. we got a ballgame coming up this afternoon. The White Sox have been on a very, very good stretch. They swept Tigers. They got themselves two of three against the Yankees, and they won the opener against the Marlins last night in walk-off fashion. They had themselves a good stretch of wins, a five-game winning streak before losing the second half of the double dip against the Yankees. Got right back on the horse by beating the Marlins last night, and they got a good chance to win today's ball game. I mean, listen, every ball game is is a little bit of a coin flip, right? You never know which way the ball's going to bounce, and even if you've got the best starter in the game going for you, he may not have it today. But Michael Kopech and Sandy Alcantara or the pitching matchup today. And Kopech's last five have been some really interesting stuff. Kopech himself, as a player and as a guy, is a really interesting person. At 27 years old, he is now in his second full spin as a starter in the bigs. And even then, I think you could look at last year and the 25 starts he made, uh, some good, some bad, the season definitely bifurcated by the, the knee issue that popped up against the Rangers here at Guaranteed Rate Field. You remember, he was warming up and was throwing something like 85 and 89 or something. There was a cyst in the back of his knee that kind of popped, and he had that and some shoulder issues worked on during the offseason and entered spring training just a little bit behind, but not terribly so. Came out of the chute and just immediately, starting the home opener here at Guaranteed Rate Field, got shelled by the Giants. He gave up five home runs, seven earned, and since then it was kind of battle to get back 
into the swing of things. He pitched really well against Pittsburgh his next time out. The next handful against the Orioles, the Rays, and then the Blue Jays were challenges. I mean, those offenses, too, were really cooking at that point. The Orioles and the Rays were clubbing everything in sight. Uh, And then the Blue Jays are, you know, at that point, a pretty tough task as well. The ERA was up around 7 after April, and Kopech, like just about everybody on this team, was really suffering. In May, things began to look a lot more uh, dominant, I think, for Kopech. And if you look over his last five starts, it's a start against the Tigers, the Angels, the Guardians, the Royals. Those are his last five last four, rather, so you clump in the uh, the start against the Houston Astros as well, because I think that's fair. I think it's uh, looking back at that one, even though he didn't go any more than four and two-thirds, uh, he was still giving up two runs, six walks, five strikeouts, and I think that's emblematic of kind of where Kopech has been and where he's what he's kind of evolved into. Over his last five, it's 31 innings of work, a 2-3-2 ERA, 117 batting average against. That includes a six-walk outing against the Astros in which he only gave up one hit and two runs. When when Kopech, and he has over his last five, more or less, when Kopech is commanding that fastball to either side of the plate, in on the right-hander, in on the lefty, I think that's what makes him his most devastating. Because that pitch, that fastball has such an extremely high spin rate, it has been at different velocities throughout. He seems, you know, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit at this, but given the fact that he does it as often as he does, it seems to be on purpose. He can be at 94 with that fastball. He can get that thing up to 98. He can finish his starts with some velocity at this point, which is very good. You know, they kind of talk about it as kind of, you know, whether it's finishing the whole game or just kind of finishing your last inning, you can kind of be the first reliever out of the pen, if you go into that, whether it's the 6th or the 7th or the 8th, whatever, what have you, you're kind of revving things up, emptying the tank, as it were. You've, you're giving a different look to the opposing team that final time through the lineup or that final inning of work that you've got. The slider's been a bit of a work in progress for Kopech, but he's dropped a couple of really good ones. And because the fastball has been both spotted really well and gotten the swings and miss when it hasn't been, or toward the top of the strike zone, he's been able to drop that slider for get-ahead strikes early in the count more often. And I think that's the big pitch for Michael, too. I think being able to to throw that slider, even when it doesn't feel like the, the most you know wipe-out-y of sliders, the, the one that's really going to bend you and, and take you out of shape, when you're able to grab strikes with that pitch... Early in the count, that's helped set up the rest of the at-bat in a big way. Because not only have you just stolen a strike with something that maybe looked kind of good to hit, and a guy's going, oh boy, that might have been the one I wanted. Indeed, it might have been. And when you're coming back with 96, 97 in some pitches after that, it really helps kind of, you know, set the tone the rest of the way. One of the things, too, that that Pedro Grafal has been very vocal about here over the last, call it, month and a half, it's kind of twofold. One is you've got to work ahead. Winning the first two of three pitches in an at-bat is something that's huge. And I, you know, if if you're like me, if you're kind of in that 30-ish, mid-30s, late-30s, and you read Moneyball when, when we all did, 
you know, 2002, 2003, 2004, something around there, um, you, you learned, at least I did, from that book, just kind of the, uh, the, the blackjack nature, you know, the, the casino table game nature of getting the first two of three pitches, right? Just how big the scale slides, how much the scale slides in a 1-2 count versus a 2-1 count, getting ahead 0-1 as opposed to falling behind 1-0, right? Just the, the very nature of pitchers getting comfortable or batters getting comfortable, being up ahead in the count in that certain situation is a huge game tilter, both in the individual at bat and, you know, for the game at large. The other part that Griffol has talked about quite a bit, when it when it when Kopech comes up in pregame or postgame conversations, Griffol will bring this up. And he'll be clear to point out that this is kind of for everybody in baseball. But the question gets asked after Kopech, and he brings it up during Kopech or right before Kopech starts. He thinks, it's Griffol's opinion, that pitchers across the league give hitters just a little bit too much credit at times. That's not to take away from hitters. That's not to say that you're, you know the, the the persona of Vlad Guerrero Jr. or Jordan Alvarez or Pete Alonso coming up to the plate isn't you know kind of intimidating because it can be. But his point is hitting is hard, and with the stuff that you the, the general with, with a, that a pitcher has, you throw it over the plate and get to the corners. You've got a better chance than you think because hitting is as hard as it is. So let the stuff work. There's actually a couple of franchises, the Rays and Dodgers being two of them. The, the, the Guardians have been one as well over the last few years that if you, you, know, you hang around the nerd circles of baseball long enough and you kind of hear what the R&D guys, the pitching development guys are talking about, and there's the, you know, a, a philosophy of throw your best stuff, throw it over the middle, let it work the way it works, and get strikes that way. Sure, there are drawbacks to that. What if you spin one? What if you hang one? Yeah, those are going to get hit some. But by and large, that's kind of been this this kind of uh, Rays, Dodgers, Guardians, and other teams as well approach to things, and it served them well. So something to think about there, too, especially for the way Pedro says it in terms of um, giving credit or debit to a particular hitter in a given circumstance, especially starting the game. You know, set the tone there. Be that guy as a starter who can set that tone. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. We've got uh, Mike in Evanston on the line. What's up, Mike? Hey, Connor. Uh, it sounds like you got a little bounce in your step. You deserve it. I mean, that was, that was rough for a while. Um, here's what I'd like to to say, hoping that maybe Rick Hahn is listening. You know, the trade deadline is a deadline. Yes. It doesn't mean you can't make a move now when you're going in to such a tough part of the schedule. That is true. I mean, it would be huge. Look, the bullpen's fine, obviously. They're they're doing just fine. Leave that alone, it's fine. Hitting, they can hit. They're poorly constructed lineup, but you're not going to fix that. A starting pitcher could make the difference of finishing first and finishing fourth. I mean, it could make such a huge difference if they could find out if they can package together something to an obvious seller before the trade deadline and have an extra arm to go into this next five weeks when, boy, you're going to need it. 
Your thoughts? I appreciate it, my man. I, I think I think that's not a terrible idea at all. But I do think that the issue there, as, as it always has been, and I've talked about this for a while, I love the idea of jumping the trade market just in general. I love the idea of getting out there early, and especially if we're talking about a starting pitcher. You know, the value that he has to you is making starts. And the, the longer you wait to the deadline, the more calendar you let, off, let flip off the, the, the more pages you let flip off the calendar, the fewer starts you're going to have them for when you trade for them. The issue, though, is this. When we're talking about obvious sellers, right, oftentimes there's not that guy at the top of the rotation that you just want to pluck away and, and put into yours. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of mood the rest of the AL East is going to be in when we get closer to the deadline or that they are right now. I mean, listen, Toronto the Red Sox, the Yankees, even, the, the entire rest of the AL East is so far out of the top spot and yet so close to, if not holding, wild card spots that it's going to be really difficult for them to determine exactly the direction they go. I think for the most part, that, that whole division, maybe the exception of the Red Sox, will be buyers. The Red Sox are at 504 games out of a wild card spot right now. Are, are you are you snagging a starter of any import from the Royals? I don't think so. I don't think the Tigers are looking to move any of their young pitching, whether hurt coming back or otherwise. I don't think Oakland has an arm that you want to pluck off of that team. I think Seattle wants to stay in it, even though they're five games back. If you look over the National League, and yes, we're less familiar with the National League, but if you're going to tell me that either the Marlins, Phillies, or Mets are moving fun pieces off their rosters, even given the AL East being the way it is, I, I don't know that you're right. I just I think it's kind of difficult to find the quote-unquote obvious sellers right now. I mean, maybe the Cubs want to deal Marcus Stroman, but we're seeing more and more talks of extension and, and Stroman really not wanting to go anywhere. I think the Cubs will probably be sellers. I think the Reds will probably be sellers. But I can only think of really one arm of, of impact there, at least in the starting variety, and that might be Stroman. And that's going to be a pretty expensive thing to go get, especially if he doesn't want to be traded. That's another thing. When we come back, well, I'll tell you what's coming back in just 10 seconds. We'll pause it here for station identification. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. When we come back here on White Sox Weekly, you're going to hear from White Sox reliever and potential future, once and probably future closer, Liam Hendricks. He was on with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday. We'll bring it to you again in just a couple. I'm Connor McKnight. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Attention students, take advantage of our all-new student ticket offer, Student Steals. This season we have bigger games, better seats, and lower prices. Sign up for alerts so you don't miss your chance to get exclusive ticket access and for a chance to win a 20-person suite. This offer ends next Sunday, June 18th. To register, text STUDENT to 224769 or visit whitesocks.com slash student. Yesterday on the Waddle and Sylvie show, a fine program on our flagship station of ESPN 1000, two fellas who are 
as known for their friendship as they are their radio prowess, though they're certainly good at that too. Uh, the guys were on remote, Waddle and Sylvie were. Liam Hendricks called in. I was actually here while Liam was uh, walking up and down left field uh, while on the phone with the fellas. Uh, and they had a good talk, good chat, baseball stuff. They talked about Liam's return from cancer, the whole thing. Sylvie himself, a cancer survivor, so the two of them bonded over that a little bit. Thought it was a great conversation. Wanted to bring it to you here on White Sox Weekly. You're going to hear Sylvie uh, bringing Liam into the show as they were out with the people. Here it is. Liam, congratulations. How are you feeling? I oh, appreciate it, guys. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, I'm just still trying to recover from the uh, the air quality that we had in uh, we had in New York. But other than that, I'm doing all right. In all seriousness, I mean, was there any any worry for you because of that, and because you're still immune compromised? Yeah, I didn't worry too much until I started to feel like crap, and then you get a little bit going. But uh, yeah, I, I was struggling yesterday. Um, just kind of like it almost felt like I had a head cold. Uh, some nausea going on and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't was an ideal situation. Luckily, uh, I had spoken to Pedro and, and Katz and Hash. And like, look, I'll pitch you. I'll, I'll, I'm available. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll be available. But if there's an opportunity to kind of avoid me today, that would be greatly appreciated. So luckily, we're able to do it. And um, yeah, we had uh, we had a good group of guys go out there for both games and then keep a, keep them off the ball, which is great. Liam, what was going through your mind when you took the ball for the first time a couple of weeks ago? Uh, don't mess it up, mainly. That was uh, pretty much it. But no, it was uh, it was a surreal experience. Obviously, you'd envisioned it the entire time going through treatment. You'd envisioned it going through everything. Uh, but it did nothing. Nothing is quite as good as the real thing. Nothing is quite as emotional as the real thing. So, as I've said multiple times, I, I wanted to thank John Lipkin, the umpire, Matt Dice, for giving me time to be able to soak it all in. Uh, to thank the Angels and White Sox organizations for not going to commercial when I came into the game. That was a unnecessary but very uh, very nice gesture that I didn't expect. And was uh, while watching the broadcast back in that night, it was fantastic to be able to see that and be able to track the process in. Unfortunately, I had to wear the, uh, the Southside pants, and I wear a lot of baby powder, so that wasn't the exactly the best look for me. But other than that, it was great. <laughs> Liam, uh, Robbie Gold, one of the things I've admired about you as an athlete from the outside is just your leadership. Obviously going through beating cancer, uh, coming back and pitching at an elite level. Is there something that you've taken away that you can bring back into this locker room to help these guys make a push uh, in the AL Central? Uh, Because you are a big fixture of the leadership in that locker room. Tell us something that you're going to be able to impart some wisdom on the boys uh, to make a run in the AL Central. Well, I think one of the biggest things I've learned about this is, like, don't waste your time with certain people. Like, it's like, don't try and appease everybody. Don't try and change the entire, the entirety. If someone doesn't align to your your views or culture or anything like that, don't beat them over the head with it. It's just going to make everything a little bit more antagonistic. So that's one thing I've taken from from this in my own personal stuff. But I mean, the, day, the first day I walked back when I was only here for a couple of days before heading out of my rehab assignment, I just walked in and started yelling at everybody to smile again. Yeah. It was um, it was a little glum in there, and uh, since since it's uh, we've turned around. I mean, that was at the beginning of May, I think, and since then we've kind of gone on a decent run, and then we've gotten to within what three and a half games of the division lead. And that's all we can really hope for right now. We're just pushing forward and taking it day by day. But don't worry about anybody else's like issues. Just control what you can control, and then everything else will uh, will fall out of place or fall into place depending on how it goes. 
Liam Hendricks joining us, Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. And building on that, Liam, like just being around them too and not just, hey, saying smile, just by seeing you, are you a good reminder to others inside that clubhouse, like if they're having a bad day, hey, here's a dude who was getting chemo not too long ago. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to anyone else's uh, opinions or anything like that. I'm sure some people are excited. Like some people are happy to see me, and others probably won't as much because I uh, tend to have a little bit uh, of a louder voice than your average person. But um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, it is what it is for everyone else. But hopefully, I can uh, come back and it puts everything everything into a little bit more perspective. Obviously, it's not always going to go that way, and certain people have different reactions. But at the end of the day, I'm uh, I'm staying in my own lane and kind of can, as I said, controlling what I can control. Liam, you obviously had more important things to worry about than baseball, but did you miss baseball in the time that you weren't able to do what you normally do? It was it was extremely frustrating not being able to go out there, especially um, with watching like kind of the pen go out there. And if it was a bad game, like it was just that was that one was hard of me. Like, oh, okay, if I was there, would it have been different? With my attitude, would it have been different? With me getting there, maybe being one of those guys, would it have been different? And that. Uh, that was hard there, but I also had to take a step back and realize that it is what it is. Like, it, like some of that stuff was going to happen no matter what. Some of the stuff is just people pressing a little bit too much. You just need to get a little bit more comfortable. And uh, they've been doing that the last little bit. And I think, what, since the beginning of May, we've had one of the better bullpens in the league. And that's, uh, that's what we expect coming into this year. Liam, is there any, has, has there been anything from you pitching, getting on the mound, recovery, that has surprised yourself that you didn't expect to do? When you got on the mound for the first time? Uh, not particularly. I mean, the one thing that surprised me was how bad my slider control was the first couple <laughs> of games. But other than that, I mean, it's not really great at the best of times. So the fact that it deteriorated even a little bit more was a little concerning. But since I've been able to get that back on track, it's, it's on a track to where I need to be. But uh, it's all the, the little things. It's just those little, like, little tiny tweaks that all of a sudden can take me from feeling comfortable with getting a fastball or a breaking ball over. It's being excited and eager to get one over. It's just those little kind of tweaks. Like I'm, I'm always going to be confident in my abilities. I'm always going to trust myself no matter what situation. But hey. there's certain times when you go from trusting yourself to being excited to prove everybody. Like it's a, a little tweak. It's, 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 uh, it's a little tweak, but it can make a lot of difference in confidence. It, it, have you amazed yourself, though, Liam? Like, I, I, I know, like, you're hard on yourself. You expect excellence because you do it at the highest level. But it wasn't too long ago that you rang the bell. And now you're answering the bell as a closer for a Major League Baseball team. Have you amazed yourself that you're doing it again already? Uh, no, because I actually missed my timeline. So I'm actually... A little disappointed in my the way I came back because of um, my ideal date was either the 17th or the 19th of May, and while I was on my rehab assignment, that was all tracking towards that. And then I hit a speed bump, which is somewhat to be expected, but it still was frustrating in my own eyes. My wife had said May 29th the entire time, the entire time. Like there was no, never a doubt that that was going to be the date. So proving her right was another. That that that, that sucks because she's always right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I missed my timeline. So like it, I don't think I ever expected it. I um, yeah, I was always going to come back. I never wanted to be a burden. I never wanted to be a liability. And if I was going to come back, I knew that I needed to be able to get people out. And that's uh, that was one thing that was extremely important to me. I wasn't just going to come back to fill a number or be a good story and like that. I was coming back to, to dominate and thrive. 
Like you, Liam, uh, I am a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. I'm three years in remission now. Um, congratulations. And, and congratulations to you. Um, and it's, it, it's amazing. You mentioned your wife, and in going through it at the start of the pandemic, the one thing I learned is the caretakers never get the, the, the love that they should. You mentioned your wife. What can you say about what she went through and what she did for you? I'm not sure can you, I, I'm sure you can attest to this as well, but going through the actual treatments is a heck of a lot easier than being the caretaker dealing with someone who, with no actual ability to change anything while watching someone go through it. And, I mean, I will forever have up for my wife for being, she, she never missed a doctor's appointment, she never missed a treatment. I was very lucky, and we are very lucky in the fact that we had a little bit more flexibility with that. She drove me to and from every treatment. She was the one who picked me up on my on my days where I was struggling a little bit mentally. She was the one who, when the days that she was struggling mentally, would go to the the, uh, the bedroom or the closet and just sob there quietly so that it didn't affect my mental state. And that's something that you just you can never put a price and you can never... I mean, I'll be forever grateful for everything she ever did. She's the... There's no way I am here currently in the big leagues right now without the support of Christy Henders. Uh, Liam, we've talked to you in the past about the vibe, the vibe of the locker room, the, the clubhouse, the vibe of the team. I mean, what's the vibe that you feel individually for yourself and where you're at and the club and, and the corner that hopefully you guys have turned? Yeah, obviously my vibe is always going to be the same. I do the same thing every single day so that I can prove to myself that, yeah, I may not be feeling great today, but I know that I can get out and I know that I can be competitive and I know that I can go out there and do my job. Uh, as far as the vibe in the clubhouse, it's, it's definitely taken a little bit of a turn since I've been here in a positive uh, positive direction. It's, um, there was a while, like, when everything goes bad, it's always certain people look uh, look into themselves and blame everything on themselves, and some people look to others and blame everybody else. So I think everyone's moving in the right direction right now, and they're taking accountability for what they can control. And that's what I said earlier. Control what you can control, and don't let something that doesn't go your way let you spiral out of control. What are your thoughts on the uh, on the changes, the Major League Baseball changes, the pitch clock? Is it something that really doesn't have any effect on you? Do you think it's something that's positive for the game? Uh, look, I think it's great in terms of like getting shorter game times, especially with attention spans currently beginning to study going the way they are. Um, for me, it sucks because I usually head out in the fourth inning and I had it all down to a science the way I worked out. And now it's... Now it's throwing that all into a loop. But, um, <laughs> look, I think it's great. Like, I mean, everything seems to be benefiting the, uh, the offense a little bit more, which sucks for me. But at the end of the day, it's what people want to watch. It's what people want to see. And as they pitch, now you get an opportunity to, if you do well, you're not only doing well, but you're doing well when a, when a league is trying to uh, suppress the pitching dominance and move more towards offense. And uh, that's, the, that's one way to look at it. But I, I like the clock because I've never been exactly a slow worker anyway. Right. I'm not a huge fan of the bangers because it was more of a mindset. It was more of a perception-based thing. I think people are now running a little bit more. They're willing to trust a little bit more, so they're willing to take that they take that uh, take that risk. But uh, it's all I, all I want to do is I want to be able to get a timeout for the pitcher, no matter if there's nobody on. I think that's one thing that I think would be beneficial because I had to tie my shoe the other day, and Yaz had to make a mound visit because I didn't get a time I don't get a timeout when no one's on. So. I've, in, a, in the midst of a longer at-bat, it just uh, it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. Um, 
Liam, I, I've heard Jason Benetti tell the story that you may have pitched with cancer for a year or two. When did you know that it was serious and what prompted you then to go to the doctor to take care of it? Uh, so I uh, had clumps in the middle of my neck throughout June and June last year. I, uh, I got checked out. So I had a blood test your analysis from the season last year. Nothing came up. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was a little bit of an annoying situation, but in November I was headed out to a wedding in Hawaii and like that was still there. So I ended up reaching out to one of the team doctors, Hey, can I get a script for the antibiotics you mentioned in July? And he's like, Hey, look, we don't really have anything. Um, and since they're there, I need to, you should probably get it checked out a little bit more. So I went to an ENT and that's how the whole ball got started. Started getting rolling then. And, and what was your reaction then? Did you, did, I mean, did you have a moment or was it, let's go, let's take care of it? Um, it was more just attacking it. There was no, there's no point in me sitting there wallowing him. Plus, I'd done enough Google research when I found out that it wasn't exactly a, it didn't look promising. Um, so it would almost confirm my suspicions of the, uh, at when I got told this, but look, it is what it is. You sitting there and feeling sorry for yourself is going to change anything. But you having a positive mindset and, and then attacking it, is, uh, that can be the difference. Absolutely. Liam, we always knew um, before a baseball player that you were an amazing guy. And we always appreciated talking to you. It is great to have you back. Congratulations on being in remission and uh, continued uh, health, all right? Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. That's White Sox reliever Liam Hendricks on with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday. You're listening to White Sox Weekly, and we'll be back in just a couple here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max weekdays at 5 a.m. ESPN Chicago. Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, the Sox pregame show begins in just a couple of minutes. Nine of them, in fact, probably fewer than nine now. White Sox and Marlins coming up. Sandy Alcantara, the starting pitcher for the visitors, last year's NL Cy Young winner. Michael Kopech starts for the White Sox. The Sox took the first game 2-1 to one in walk-off fashion. Luis Robert Jr. shot one down the left field line. Elvis Andrews scored from second base, and it was a 2-1 White Sox win. Sox are right now 29 and 36 on the season. Still back a piece from 500, but they're three and a half back of the Twins in first place in the division. They won a wild one last night. 14 innings. They beat the Astros 10 to 9. Back and forth affair, as it has to be now with the Manford Man, the zombie runner on second base in extras. It was a, it was a crazy ball game. I, I wanted to talk just a little bit here as we kind of close the show uh, about what's coming up for the White Sox as much as what's been going on with them. This, this lineup uh, for game two of this series is the exact same. I just noticed this. The exact same as it was last night. Anderson, Benintendi, Robert, Vaughn, Moncada, Berger, Grandal, Sheets, and Andrews right there. And I, I think especially for the second base position, it's been interesting to watch, and we're going to see it more here over the next couple of weeks, I feel, uh, kind of the balance, the, the competition between Andrews and Roby Gonzalez at second base. I think it's interesting that against two pretty talented right-handers in Ayuri Perez last night, 
and Sandy Alcantara today, albeit the, the struggles notwithstanding for Alcantara to begin the year, I think you still have to look at Alcantara a bit as a guy who is struggling but also presents a giant problem if he's having a good day. Like, he's he's Sandy Alcantara still, right? And he, he still pumps it at 98. He's still got a great sinker and a good... I mean, this is this is a guy that can still give right-handers uh, a problem. Not, not unlike, I would think, other teams had looked at Dylan Cease before he got things uh, really ironed out over the last couple of starts. Oh, by the way, if you missed it earlier in the show, Dylan Cease was our guest, and you can go back and listen to that interview. If you download the ESPN Chicago app, every interview is downloadable right there for you if you like. Uh, not unlike Dylan Cease, you know, it's just, if he's on, he's a problem for us. So we got to send somebody up there that we think takes better at bat, a best at bat perhaps against right-handers or has that kind of shape to his swing in order to defeat that pitcher. Andrews got the assignment last night, and he gets the assignment today. I also, you know, in kind of looking at this ball club right now, without Eloy Jimenez over the next couple of days, it, it sounds like it, Pedro Grafal didn't mention anything having changed from uh, last night into today. It sounds like the White Sox are very hopeful that they can avoid an IL placement for Eloy Jimenez. If not sure, then then obviously very very hopeful of it. But he is going to miss, you know, four or five days or so. Probably this this series against the Marlins. The Sox get the off day on Monday and then head west to face the Dodgers. It's a long flight, so I would, I'm just kind of guessing here, if everything pops up the way that uh, the White Sox expected to with the lower left leg injury for Jimenez, that he could be back in perhaps Tuesday evening against the Dodgers. The Sox are then going to finish that series, of course, and then play the uh, Seattle Mariners for three games out west before coming back home to face the Rangers. It's, it's, it's a tougher schedule than it has been in May. But hopefully with Jimenez coming back for that latter portion of the Dodgers series, it's not set yet, but it looks that way, back for the latter portion of the Dodgers series and then against the Mariners, that this Sox team will be, again, as full strength as, as you can be against the tougher piece of this summer schedule. They'll play the Marlins this afternoon. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. A huge thank you to Dylan Cease for being our guest today. Thanks to Waddle and Sylvie and their conversation with Liam Hendricks. They were fine work yesterday. Jake Cantu and Charlie Bevins are our producers. And they will be again. The White Sox pregame show is coming up in just a little bit on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.